If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is Jim Palmer, a serial entrepreneur, marketing expert, and in-demand small business coach. Jim is the founder of the Dream Business Academy, a live business building seminar, and the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. He's a video marketer and podcaster who's taught thousands of entrepreneurs, both virtually and one-on-one in his mastermind and coaching programs. He's written and published seven books on marketing and building business strategies and has started and grown multiple six-figure businesses. Jim, what an absolute pleasure it is to welcome you to the show Thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. I've been looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Susan. Jim, I'm thrilled to have you because you're doing something that so many people want to do, and that is to create their business, their dream business, and live a dream lifestyle. I know that's a huge subject because that's what you teach, but What are some nuggets that perhaps you could share with our listeners? Well, one of them is to get very clear. This may seem obvious, Susan, but to get very clear on what your dream lifestyle looks like. Some people are very money-driven or 401k-driven. Some people want to have multiple houses, properties, big cars, whatever. You know, Stephanie and I, we lived in the same house for almost 30 years. We raised four kids, and then we got to a point in our lives where we really wanted to do something fun and adventurous. I'm still working, obviously, and as long as I have internet and, and a you know cell phone, I can work and, and work with my clients, but we wanted to go on an adventure. We didn't want to wait for that magic green light that said, okay, you're done now. Go on your way and have fun for 20 years or whatever, for however long you're blessed to live. So we figured out that we fell in love with boating probably about five or six years ago. We bought a, a, about a 30-foot boat, which is great for weekends and just being out on the water, and we sold our home. We sold at this point, both our cars, we sold a smaller boat. We bought a 50-foot boat that we take up and down the East Coast of the United States from New England to Florida, but I run my businesses from the boat. So that's kind of our dream business, waking up every day, not getting in a car, no commuting. And you know, I'm sure there's a lot more that goes into it, but it's a half an hour show after all. That sounds absolutely amazing, but you're absolutely right. You need to know what it is that you want as your dream lifestyle, as you rightly say, before you can even think about doing this, because it sounds romantic, but I know that you've probably thought this through for quite a while. One of the driving forces that kind of changed my life really in a big way was, first of all, I had long-term unemployment, you know, and I was 41 years old. I thought I'd quickly find another job when mine was eliminated, but God had other plans, and I basically was trying to find work. I had four teenagers at home, but 12 months into almost a year and a half unemployment, I got cancer. So I really, for a while, had to, I didn't even know if I'd be alive in five years. Thankfully, it's been 19 years, so knock everything and thank you, Lord. But 
you know, I realized that life can be short. I mean, I don't think even at 41 years old, I was contemplating, gee, I'm middle age, or maybe I'll live for another 40. I just, you don't even think about it. But when you suddenly realize, my gosh, I might not see my girls graduate high school, you start thinking things can change in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? So when we got to the point where Stephanie was, she was going to leave her career and her early childhood development. And as I said, I could do my job anywhere. We decided we're still young, we're healthy. Stephanie really had a desire to see more of the country and the world and just, as I say, go on adventure. We weren't ready for the to downgrade to the town home for 15 years while we wait for the retirement home, while we wait for assisted living. You know, we didn't want to get on that path yet. So this just really suited us. But it, it's not for everybody. What's really important is we got very clear on what we wanted to do. We kind of knew what it would cost. I figured out as an entrepreneur, I didn't want to work the first probably 10, 12 years of being an entrepreneur, I worked the proverbial 80 hours a week. And I don't know if I ever added up, it might be more than that. But I decided from that point forward, when we got our first boat, I only wanted to work three days a week. So I just had to figure out, here's how many clients I need. I'm going to schedule all my client work, all the interviews like I'm doing with you now on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I'll be off Monday and Friday. I got really clear. There's more that goes into it, but I got really clear about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to live. And I just really shaped the businesses pretty much that I was building to suit that lifestyle. That's pretty incredible. I know that you talk about four pillars of success. What are they? There's consistency, persistency, and one that I know we'll probably talk about is the importance of the brand and however you want to call it, becoming a celebrity within your niche and the other one is is out and out determination. So there's so many of them that goes into it. And I think one of the books that I read early on where I kind of developed some of my thoughts, I'm sure everybody's read Think and Go Rich. I read New Psycho Cybernetics. And I think in one of those books, it described an entrepreneur where if you take your your skill, your talent, your drive, your ambition, your kind of your moral compass and your work ethic, you put all that into a a bowl and mix it up like you're mixing a recipe, you're going to figure out who's going to be more successful. Well, I think the one thing that really is the missing ingredient is mindset. People don't talk about the mindset. So when I talk about consistency and persistency, you need to hang in there. And, and I know we're, we're probably transitioning into books, but one of the things I learned early on after I wrote my first book was that I thought, wow, I'm done. Finally, this thing's going to happen. Well, by the time you write your book, you're only halfway done because then you have to figure out how are you going to use this book to grow your business. So the marketing of the book and all the things that you're so good at, that comes in. But that was a blind spot for me. So there's so many things that go into it. So that blind spot, you're not the only one who has that blind spot. <laughs> you're absolutely right that you've only halfway done when you've written the book because it takes so much more. And I know my listeners have heard me say this. I sound like a stuck record sometimes when it comes to the fact that that's not the end of the journey. It's probably just the beginning, really. And you know what was interesting about the first book, Susan, is that I, I'd say it took me 18 months to write that book. But in reality, in full disclosure, it probably took me eight or nine months to write it. It took me you know, nine or 10 months to get the courage to publish it. Now, Back when I wrote that book, today, people have it so easy. You can write a book and, you know, with print on demand, if, if you sell a book through Amazon, they print it and mail it. You don't have to do anything. But I had to order like, I think I ordered 3,000 of those books. They get shipped to my house, you know, and then you got to figure out how to sell them and get it marketed and things like that. So it's a pretty big commitment. The thing that holds so many people back, I, I know you're I'm preaching to the choir here, is I was so worried that with my name on the cover of that book, that thing better be perfect. There shouldn't be a missing comma. 
on page 37, I don't have S-O-N instead of S-U-N. And all these things held me back from pulling the trigger. But today, I mean, the last three books, they were written and produced in less than 60 days. I've just got comfortable with the fact that I'm okay not being a perfectionist. I put out good work. I let the quality of the information, the content that I share in an imperfect way, I let that be the judge. Are my books helping people? Are my books helping grow my business? That's the judge and not whether or not it's a perfect piece of literary literature or however I probably messed that up. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but you're (laughs) absolutely right because there's so many and I'm a bit of a perfectionist and hold myself back because it's like, well, people are going to judge what I put out. I better make it perfect. But there is no such thing as perfection. And I know that. And you're saying that too. So yes. You know, a funny story when I, because I was so concerned, people, what do you mean, Jim? You're not an author. You're not a writer. And my book came out and I think about 60 days went by and hey, got your book. I liked it, blah, blah, blah. And then I got it. I, somebody said, hey, Jim, I just thought you'd like to know on page 137, you have a dangling participle. Well, Susan, to this day, my hand to God, I have no idea what a dangling participle is. It almost sent me into a panic like, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't write that darn book. But I said, hey, I'm going to make my editors aware of that. We'll fix it on the next printing. I had no idea if I'd sell 3,000. I have to print more, but that's what I said. But then I thought to myself, I kind of hit calm and I said, but anyway, what did you think of the book? And the person wrote me back a very nice email and said, well, we really liked it. And I know the difference. It was on newsletter marketing, by the way. And he said, well, we know what content to write. We know the size, how to fold it, what kind of paper to use. It was really a great book. And so I, I said, thank you. But then I really had one of those moments where I leaned back in my chair and go, what do you think about that? My imperfect book is likely to bring me a new client. And in fa- at the very least, I sold a book and someone's getting some value from it. It's so funny because... Some of my uh, blog posts, articles, I've had people come back to me with exactly the same, you know, a dangling participle or whatever, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, you should have used this verb instead of that verb. And I'm like, you know what? Thank you. It's those eagle eyes that I rely on. So thank you for pointing out those errors because you don't see your own mistakes. That's right. I always make that person shine and feel as if they've done me the greatest favor in the world by telling me that maybe my English wasn't perfect after all. So (laughs) mindset, we've talked about mindset so many times in these podcasts, but I don't think you can talk about it enough. I'd love your take on mindset and what you share with your small businesses and entrepreneurs. Mindset is such a 10,000-foot view, right? So there's so much that goes into it. There's a couple areas that I think hold most entrepreneurs back. Number one is, and I say, do you have the courage to be successful? Because it takes a lot of courage. It's so much easier not to be successful because we have to put ourselves out there. We have to do so many things. Write the book, learn to become a speaker, do a podcast, be a guest, host your own podcast, do videos. There's so many things that go into creating an amazing awareness and recognizable brand. And it doesn't happen by accident. And if you look at really successful people, they don't take a a la carte type of view. It's kind of like this expression, success is all in. So do you have the courage to be successful? There's a, a favorite expression of mine is to the degree that you're willing to invest in your own success is a direct reflection of how much you're convinced you are going to be successful. 
And so another way that I say that is people sometimes will they'll expect a paid marketing result with a free marketing strategy. In other words, I'm going to post to Facebook and LinkedIn and show a funny meme on Twitter and I'm, I'm going to expect my cash register to come flying open and have $100 bills come pouring out when the guy you know who might be spending, whether it's $50 a day or $1,000 a day on paid traffic to the right market and things like that, to expect paid traffic results with a free traffic mentality is, is a huge mindset error in my opinion. I love that example. That's fantastic. You're absolutely right because I know that in the past I've worked on a shoestring budget and you don't get very far. I mean, you can go so far, but you do have to come to a point in the road that says, now I have to invest a little bit more in my marketing, in myself, in my own self-development, whereas I had for so long wanted to do this for free. And there's only so much that you can do for free. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. That's an expression I used to use all the time, shoestring budget. I was doing everything on a shoestring budget. Chief cook and bottle washer, my first business and things like that. And eventually, with when I opened No Hassle Newsletters and the concierge print mail, I, I had a team of like 13 virtual assistants kind of doing things behind the scenes. But I had to really grow there a little slowly. But one of the big tests for me, and when I speak with, with confidence, maybe even a little force, it's only because I have been swimming in those dark waters myself. And somehow I made it to the other side. So it's not me just saying something I haven't done myself, but there was a very low point after my first business started kind of waning a little bit by choice because I really wanted to grow the online businesses, but they didn't quite pick up at the same pace as I was letting some of the customers go. You know, that's like the old cash crunch. And I had an opportunity to in display at a national conference where there was going to be about 1,200 small business owners who I knew would be my prime target for the newsletter service I was offering. The only problem with it is going to be like a $7,500 investment. It's like 5000 just for the 10 by 10 booth space with a blank curtain. But I had to build a, a display, fly myself out there, obviously stay in the hotel that the event was at, which is not $99 a day. And so all told, it was a $7,500 investment, Susan. And I did that. And I came home with almost half of the investment in new business. And over the course of the next several months, I got more clients signed up for the ones that I met. And um, it turned out to be a really good decision. But I tell you, that's the big boy and big girl type decisions you need to make is, again, I was really convinced that I was going to be successful, but I didn't know when and I didn't want to take the slow road. I know that road too. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that you should talk about trade shows because that's the business that I was in. And I know a lot about those 10 by 10 booths and what people need to do in that environment and the extreme investment that one has to make in that environment, but you have to do things right in order to get that return on investment. And it sounds as if you did exactly that. So congratulations. Let's talk about mistakes, Jim. What are some of the mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make? We talked about one, not investing enough. I don't believe as somebody could prove me wrong, but I've never seen a business grow quickly into high levels on cash flow alone. So again, it, today, it's so much easier than it was even 15, 20 years ago. I mean, you can literally put up a website for free and get business cards from Vistaprint for free. You can do everything for free, and then you're kind of in business and you feel good about yourself, but you're really, you've got no sales. Therefore, you don't have a business. So again, trying to go too much on the shoestring One of the examples I like to talk about to illustrate the other side of that shoestring coin is when Fred Smith, who started Federal Express in in the 70s, right? 
he famously wrote that paper in college and got a C, I think, as legend has it. But he had this hub and spoke system for delivering letters. It was only letters at the time, not packages like it is today. And it was pre-fax machine and all that. But he had this system for doing overnight. You could have a letter in Boston and have it be in LA the next day instead of through the mail system. But Fred was so convinced this was going to win. He didn't just get a couple of used Cessna planes and, and test his theory out in Tennessee, Arkansas, and Kentucky. He got used DC-9 jets, pilots, co-pilots, ground crews, everything. He built the whole darn company, at least, you know, kind of a starter level. And he ran it months and months and months, ran up millions of dollars of debt until he finally turned the corner. It's a huge success story today. That's a great example, Susan, of somebody that's really willing to put skin in the game and not just, okay, let's see, if I make a sale, Oh, then I'll plow that back into a little more. No, you have to invest. And very often what that means, at least with a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with and myself included, it means borrowing, whether that's from family, from retirement, from savings, credit cards, whatever it is, you have to be able to invest in your company to get the momentum going. So that's that's one of the big lessons. One other lesson I'll share with you is that entrepreneurs very quickly become bored or disenchanted with what they're doing, and they'll switch. And there's an expression that something it goes like this. Just about the time you're ready to create a new logo, a new brand, new pricing structure, new offering, your prospective clients are just starting to become aware of you and what you do. So every time you switch, you're starting over. Boredom, which leads to premature change, in my opinion, because you haven't had, a, had an opportunity to build your brand. So you need to really resist the urge to change, you know, like the weather, so to speak. So that brings up a good point because you're absolutely right. Creative people do get bored very quickly and are looking to be creative and create new things. What are some techniques that you teach or you use to resist that change and to overcome the boredom? Well, one of the things, the other thing about investing is to work with a coach or join a mastermind group where there's not just like-minded people, because you don't want to be in a mastermind group with six or 12 or 15, however many other people that are all struggling. <laughs> you know, you want to be in a group where they're going to pull you up. It's kind of like your own private advisory board and things like that. Just becoming aware because, you know, you think I'm, I'm going to turn the corner next year. When I started my first business, it took me 12 months to get my first client. I Today, it's so far in the distant mirror, I, I affectionately refer to that as my revenue-free year. So it took me, but then I was doing everything. And, and in month 12, I got a big client and then I got it the next one and the next one. Next. So all the seeds that I had been out there planting and nurturing started to develop. Now, thankfully, I didn't change course. I just kept going and going and going. And, and that happened. Just a kind of a quick story about not changing. In 2009, you probably remember when Kodak came out with the flip camera. It was like $99 or $110, something very reasonable. And suddenly everybody could do videos and put them on YouTube and things. Well, I started a weekly video show. I ended up doing it for over five years. I only missed two weeks inside of five years doing produced weekly videos. And I had a produced beginning and it, basically I was on a dock and I said, hey, welcome to Newsletter Guru TV. I forget exactly what, but I said a boatload of smart marketing and business building strategies. And then I jumped off the dock into the water, which was actually in a studio, but it looked pretty real. Every week, Susan, as I would edit my videos and what I recorded, and then I'd slap that beginning on, I'd, of course, watch myself. And I know somewhere around three or four years in, I said, man, I'm getting tired of seeing me jump off that freaking dock. Maybe I'll come up with a new updated beginning. And then at that time, I'm going to a lot of different seminars. And one or two or three people came up to me and said, 
hey, how's the kayaks? I used to film them in the kayak. And have you jumped off the dock? There, the guy jumps off the dock. And some way they were referencing this beginning, which has now been playing, you know, two, three, four years every single week. And and that was my clue. It says, uh-oh, I better not change it. That's They're associating me with that produced beginning. So that's that really goes to what I said. You just have to keep hammering and hammering and hammering and not change. That's interesting because you're right that it's part of your brand, I suppose, even though you probably didn't mean it to be, but it's sort of become that way. And your brand is really important. And, you know, when Stephanie and I moved on the boat now three years ago, we didn't do it for this reason, but it occurred to me from a business perspective, well, this is pretty cool. I mean, the boat we live on is pretty darn nice and it's an outward sign that, well, maybe Jim has achieved some success, right? It's not a lot of people, sometimes you'll see entrepreneurs, they'll take a picture of themselves getting on a private plane just before the security runs and chases them away. You know what I mean? But it really is a sign. And so when I do some Facebook live videos and things like that, I'm doing it from the captain's chair right above where I'm sitting right now. And I use the boat in some of my marketing because it's it's really part and parcel of my life today. It's what my business has allowed for me to, to live this way. So I use it in my marketing. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was about being a celebrity in Mm -hmm. your marketplace. Can you give us some idea of what that really means and how you handle it? Well, for better or worse, we live in a celebrity-driven culture. And I don't mean you have to turn yourself into Brad Pitt or Jennifer Anderson or anything like that, but you need to become a very recognized expert within the niche that you operate in. Initially, I was known as the newsletter guru. Well, why? Because I called myself the newsletter guru, which sort of inferred that, man, Jim really knows a lot about newsletters. Now, I never finished college. I never took a a design course. I've self-taught Quark Express and Photoshop. And you know what I mean? I hired some editors to proofread the articles that I would put together. So I figured out a way that I could create newsletters for companies that worked really well. And that helped me build the business. But they were attracted to the fact that I was a newsletter guru, even though I'm sure there's people who could do newsletters probably better than I could. But you have to anoint yourself as the go-to expert in whatever niche you're in. And in 2009, when I started coaching people, after I grew a lot of business, people are well, how are you doing all that? And it's like, that's when I started coaching. And today I'm known as the dream business coach. I have the dream business mastermind, dream business academy, dream business radios, my podcast. So everything's dream business. And we'll why would I just be Jim Palmer business coach when I could be the dream business coach? Because when you create your dream business, you can live your dream lifestyle. So that's been a very effective brand for me. And that's a great segue into you telling us more about that and how our listeners can find out more about your Dream Business Academy, and whatever you want to tell us about your services. Sure. So my home base is getjimpalmer.com. I could give you the mastermind website coaching of Dream Business, but just go to getjimpalmer.com and you can find you know my books, my courses, the mastermind, all the information you can find from there. In a non-business way, if just people are curious, we have a YouTube channel, Stephanie and I, about our life on the floating home, which is the name of our boat. If you go to YouTube and just search Our Floating Home, you'll find our channel. And there's not 100 videos up there. I think there's 15 or 16 because it takes a lot to record them and edit them. But people are curious what our boat looks like. We have a tour and you can see how we travel up and down the East Coast. I love that. I've got to check that out. And Jim, if you could leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? 
I want you to remember this. You will earn significantly more income for who you are than what you do. It's not about the deliverable. It's about being recognized as the expert in your niche. I should hug you for that because that's exactly (laughs) what I preach. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's not about what you do. Just a quick example. Let's say you had two accountants and they had the same training, same school, had the same GPA, everything. And one of them, after they both graduated from at the same time, one of them spent a year getting additional degrees and more training and more, I don't know, spreadsheets and every other. And the other one said about creating his brand. I'm an expert in home-based business. I work with solopreneurs who work on QuickBooks. He became an expert in a certain niche. I guarantee you in five years or two years, the one who is recognized for a certain niche, instead of saying, look, I've got 12 degrees. I can add numbers really, really, really well. That guy who did the brand, he's going to make more money than the guy who may be even a little bit better and smarter at accounting. It's funny because in my book, Riches and Niches, How to Make It Big in a Small Market, the accounting firm is exactly one that I use as an example. So I love the fact that you threw that in. That's lovely. Jim, you've been amazing. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded. So visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.